and welcome to the One Shot Podcast. I get to lead us in today. Yes. Uh, our guest today is somebody that's really special to me. We've got the senior director of encourage of a uh, sorry, I just generosity, uh, generosity, encourage. I was thinking encourage. Senior director of generosity of the He Gets Us campaign, which has made a lot of headlines recently with their uh, Super Bowl ads. We'll get into that here in a bit. Um, but want to introduce, like I said, our guest today, Phil Boone, uh, who who has had a big impact in my life. Um, and Tyler, I want to I want to ask you something real quick. So back in middle school, was there? Can you think of a person, that kid that was like more athletic than everybody else, dated the best looking girls, everybody loved them, most popular. Mm-hmm. Can you think of anybody like that from, from back in your day? Yeah. Yeah. So not only was Phil that, that kid, <laughs> but he also raised <laughs> that a kid, kid like that, which happened to be one of my best friends, still one of my best friends this day. Shout out Jason. I know he's listening to this. So um, yeah, I met Jason, Phil's son back in middle school and been best buds ever since so i think jason and phil had a very different story than the one i'm thinking of in my head <laughs> yeah so i definitely uh, wasn't that kid yeah. but i was led into the group by jason which i'm obviously always well, I, i've got to go on record here and say that ben has no idea what he's talking about in my middle school days because how would he <laughs> yeah, that's right which we're going to get into that here in a minute uh, but i would say for sure Outside of my house, I spent 99% of my time at Mr. Phil Boone's house. He had the cool house, you know, with the back game room, ping pong table, big screen TV. I mean, everything was there. So outside of my house, the most time I spent was at, was at y'all's house. Basketball sure. court. Basketball the court. I mean, everything. Had everything. Had everything. I'm <laughs> See, assuming that was by design, by the way, to, to, absolutely. to we create wanted, the hangout house. We wanted to be the house that. Everybody, yeah. all the kids came to. Yeah. Well, I love that. It worked. That's it, literally my wife's goal. And I had that conversation with my daughter yesterday. And like all the little, all my uh, 11 year old's friends come up and hug my wife. Like, you know, she's a buddy and right, friends. Yeah. And my wife said something yesterday. She was like, uh, Does that bother you that like all your friends are so close? Like, do you want me to take a step back? And she goes, No. Like, I love that like our house is the place that all the kids want to be. She says, Because none of the other houses that I go to, do I feel that way? Huh. Yeah. So I, I totally get it and appreciate that because that's like our mission with our house and the projects that we ha- have. And it's like, we want that space that people can come. And there's a reason like that fellowship, that time. Plus you can have your eyes on them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that was a hidden agenda perhaps, but, but really I tell people all the time, the reason I didn't party, the reason I didn't get into drugs, things like that. The big reason is because none of my friends were doing it. And that was when I when we went to your house. That wasn't even a temptation for us. It was there was just so much fun to be had without that stuff. And so again, I'm always appreciative of that. And um, I know it made a big impact on my not only my life but a couple of other our buddies' lives as well. So appreciate you for that. Uh, you're welcome. It yeah. was a, always a joy. Yeah, absolutely. But and, and then secondary. So this is going to be special because of what you're doing now. But mm-hmm. it's also going to be special. For the listeners, but who cares about the listeners? For me personally, <laughs> to learn a little bit more about Man, your are background. Are you going to be here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to learn more about your background because it's you know I, I know bits and pieces just from things I've picked up over the years, but uh, I'm excited to get to know where you come from and and yeah. how you grew up and and what ultimately led you to what you're doing today. So let's start there. I know you're you are from Abilene, yep. correct? Born yeah. and raised, which is which is my hometown as well. So born and raised in Abilene, uh, pretty early on in life. Or pretty early, yeah, pretty early on in life, 
life threw you a bit of a curveball. Yeah. Uh, with the passing of your father. Take us back to that, what that was like at such a young age and how that impacted you. Yeah, great question. And uh, obviously had a, a lot to do with my development. And so I'll start off uh, what people always think is kind of humorous is he was the principal at our my high school. So that was his job. Um, and so that was, you know, usually great. I mean, I always loved that he was there. Uh, but sometimes he knew more than I really wanted him to know, that kind of thing, you know, or he thought he knew more than he needed to know. Yep, yep. Uh, so, yeah, that, so my junior year, I was 17. Um, Take your time. It's all good. It's crazy. It was uh, 45 years ago. But why don't we go back to some younger times? Yeah. Let's Let's go back to – just kind of the dynamic of your house, siblings, yeah. um, you know, what really kind of the foundation that you, you were about to dig into, the foundation of your family and what that was built on. Yeah, great. So Christian home, both parents and uh, both sets of grandparents. Uh, so so raised in, a, in a, uh, a home in a structure where we tried to make other people more important than ourselves. And so that's, that's kind of what I remember from the very beginning. Uh, even though, you know, we go, we all go through phases and I was a big jerk at times and that kind of thing. But I remember from the very beginning, you know, things like, uh, don't ever try to be first in line. Don't ever try to, you know, even though you're faster than the friend, don't, don't beat everybody to the lunch line. Don't, you know, always open the door for everybody. It was just that, general deal that i was brought i i can't remember any other way than to always make everybody more important than ourselves you know so it was right yeah it's all all about humility (laughs) i love it and and of course that action obviously made a huge impact on my life but you have to go through the maturation process of truly learning what humility is How, how did you receive you said you were knucklehead sometimes but how did you receive that in general you know because my parents instilled the same on us but i remember vividly times when they'd want us to go volunteer and just not wanting to do it you yeah. know just i'm a dumb 12 year old kid and yeah selfish yeah so, my friends <laughs> i just want to go have fun like <laughs> serving food that's not fun so right. how did you take it as a kid were you receptive to that were you yeah. oh you know that there i was receptive as a young kid mm-hmm. for sure but then as you know you get into the teenage years or early on or maybe you know 12 like you say 12 13 14 then you yeah you you think there's obviously some things i'd rather be doing than what my parents are asking me to do but my dad was a man he was a uh so here's the way i describe him to people he was the funniest guy in the room he was the most competitive guy in the room he was the loudest guy in the room he was the biggest encourager in the room Mm. he could go from zero to 60 and turn as red as that book Sorry, listeners, uh, you know, bright red. I mean, he could, he was just intense mm-hmm. and, and his voice was also intense. So that's part of the, you know, part of what, and uh, hopefully listeners will hear today is that, you know, regardless of our upbringing, we all get a, we all get a chance to do it differently. Mm-hmm. And my upbringing was incredible. But the thing that, you know, that aggravated me the most about my father was the way that he would use, he never used profanity, never like that, but the intensity in his voice, there were times, literally there was a time when I 
pulled my belt off and I handed it to him and I said, would you just use this and stop this talking, <laughs> stop you know, talking. stop talking. <laughs> and so, uh, he just had this intensity that he couldn't, well, he, he never reached the point where he could really control it yeah. at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was a time, so leading up to the time of his death. So when I turned about 15, I really started. He trained me. That's what I even ended up telling him. He, he's, he, it was his fault. He trained me how to debate. He trained me. Here's, here was his line. He said, you may not be the fastest. You may not be the biggest. You may not be the smartest. But you will always be the best prepared. Mm-hmm. And you will outwork the next guy. Mm. Amen. <laughs> Amen. What a lesson. And so that serves you well most of the time. You know, yeah. and, and, and that got out of balance a couple times in my life, you know, always wanting to make sure I was the best prepared. And so, okay. Uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's very similar to that. Mm-hmm. I created an identity in that yeah. for a long time because sure. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the most yeah. athletic and my identity was the hard worker yeah. and it crushed me if, if I felt like, or if I failed and it was related to maybe like someone outworking me, like it was this really really hard deal. And then it's, it's carried over to business where I put in and Ben's the same way. It's like, look, we're like obsessive over putting in the work to where it can be detrimental mm-hmm. when that becomes an identity issue. And I know obviously, right. Your identity needs to be in one place. Yeah. It's very great to say, but the application of it, especially right. If you're groomed that way <laughs> right. and, and it's, and that's, that's a hard thing for me, even cause I recognize, look like, yes, work hard. Like that's, those are all great characteristics. Um, but when it becomes performance based and it becomes an identity, that's when it becomes a challenge. And I catch myself all the time doing the same thing to my kids. Yes. So how, and, and we're going to, jump forward maybe a little bit, but then I don't want to yep. come, want to come back to your journey, but like, how did you as a father take those lessons that your dad instilled into you, but then maybe with a little bit of wisdom recognize, okay, maybe just a slight adjustment in delivery and emphasis, like in with my kids, yeah. what would I like to do? Yeah. So my kids today, I ask them, they're 37, 35 and almost 33. And, uh, I'll ask them at times, you know, what do you wish we'd have done differently? Could we have done this better or whatever? And one of the things that they pretty consistently say is, you know, you really had us believing we could do anything we set our minds to do. Hmm. And that's not, you know, now they say, you know, that was kind of, kind of a hard pill to swallow when we couldn't do everything. And court, of course, I come back to that and say, don't you think, I mean, I, think I delivered that a little bit better than that. And maybe the way that you took it in yeah. was, you know, we're both, we're both responsible here. <laughs> kids, kids do have a tendency. To, it's all your fault. Hear, yeah. You can play in the NFL and then they shut off. Yeah. <laughs> they don't listen to the rest of the set. Exactly. Like, if you work hard, you prepare, yeah. you do that. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. I totally get it. So I guess what I would suggest, uh, and I wish I'd have done even more of, but I did do some was to say, you know, after you, instill something or you repeat something or you're really trying to work on something to to kind of ask sit them down and say tell me what you think i'm trying to get you to understand Mm -hmm. repeat back to me what you know what what do you really think why do you think dad wants you to do that Mm -hmm. why do you think dad wants you to make other people more important than yourself 
and because I really believe this, I and you think about it. How many times can you remember an adult ever asking you some to do something that you weren't already prepared to do? I I just think I think I'm not now. Don't hear me. I'm not saying put undue burdens on your children, yeah. but I am saying that children are always capable of more than what we realize. Yeah. So I encourage you to to ask them and say, why do you think I'm asking you to do this? Or why do you think it's important for you to do this? Uh, I, and, and I don't believe you mentioned do you, siblings. Do you have one older sister, one older sister. Yep. Okay. So, so your father was a principal of, a, of your high school, uh-huh. which also kind of means, yes, he has his two biological kids, but I don't know what the, the <laughs> yeah. attendance was at your high school, but he has all of those other kids as well. Yeah. How how was he with the ability to stay, okay, I can separate work from being present and being home with my family? Yeah. So he he glad you brought that up. I, one thing I didn't say a while ago is he man, he was an incredible principal. He really was. Both to his teachers and to the students. But and he was one of the things that made me the most proud was he loved the underdog. I mean, he was really good at that. So he loved I mean, don't get me wrong, he loved the great students and the star athletes and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he really worked hard to make sure that the underdogs felt uh, not only appreciated, but needed. And he was really good at that. His problem again was that intensity is he was not a good delegator, even though he had like three assistant principals. So back in the day, you know, I I can't remember, but it was the largest uh, classification in Texas. Back then it was called 4A, which today is 6A and you got – Six one A and six double A or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but it was you know I think my graduating class was uh, five hundred and oh yeah five hundred plus yeah so uh, it's pretty big high school and but he <laughs> I, I mean I never sat around thinking why is my dad home tonight I never had that thought but he wanted to be everywhere every, yeah he wanted to be at everything didn't matter what it was band science yeah. whatever he wanted to be there and so. Yeah. Once in a while, my mom would have to say, hey, that's enough. Yeah. And it led to part of his health problem, which back – so he was not quite 46 when he died of a heart attack. And he had had a warning earlier in that previous August. Okay. Uh, went into the hospital. In fact, we were in the hospital at the same time. I dislocated my shoulder for the second time and was having a screw put in it back in, in my glory days. And so football – and. Uh, so we were in the hospital at the same time. He was in there getting one of those tests where they put all that dye Cat- in you. And, and, and yeah, yeah, and they look at your heart back back then. So you got to remember, this is 1978. Mm. And, and open-heart surgery was a big deal, yeah. not like today. Yeah. And sure enough, he had major artery blockage. Mm. But back to the still again, you know, he knew his cardiologist was a friend, and he said, he said, we need to do open-heart surgery. So this was, think think about this, third week of August. So school is about to start. And my dad goes, I can't have open-heart surgery. And the cardiologist said, well, why not? He said, because school starts next week. He goes, I can't do that. And he goes, Phil, you don't have a choice. It's Phil Sr. He said, you don't have a choice. And he said, surely I've got a choice. Let's talk about this. I mean, my dad was good at this, man. And he'd go, he'd go let's just talk about options. And so the, finally he convinced his cardiologist that he could wait until next summer, the next summer, 
if, and there are three things, three stipulations, take your Medicaid, they put them on new medication, mm-hmm. change your diet. My dad was probably 30-ish pounds overweight. Okay. And exercise. Well, he claimed Even that, with a heart problem, they wanted him to exercise Yeah, at that they weren't walking. I mean, they okay. wanted him to, okay. not, not strenuous. Got it. And so he was convinced that he exercised every day, walking all over campus. There were two floors at Abilene High, you know, two stories. He walked up and down the stairs, walked. Not wrong. So I mean, he's getting his steps in. Yeah, <laughs> more than I walk every day. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he did a little bit of that. He didn't change the way he ate. And my mom and I joked later that she's gone to glory too. But my mom and I joked later that maybe he took his medication. And so maybe. he just was. He just didn't know how to turn it off. Yeah. And so. Anyway, so he he uh, he passed away a couple months before his forty sixth birthday birthday, but it was almost looking back, uh, it's almost like he prepared me for it. Mm-hmm. So I was my mom and I reversed roles after he died for about ten years. She didn't mm-hmm. she didn't handle it well and kind of went into she had some depression challenges and uh, and ended up doing really well later. But it took yeah. about ten years. So. Was there marriage where your dad handled everything like finances, yes. bill, like all of that? He handled it. Yep. So there was that transition. Yep. That she was, I mean, different times. So it's yes. not like you, I don't know my email password. You didn't have to deal with that stuff. <laughs> but, but like banking and all of that. So you had to step in and, and assume right. that role at right. that age at 17. Yeah. What did, what did your um, mom do for a living? She was a piano teacher. Okay. So, uh, and taught, she actually taught in the public schools too. Okay. Like, okay. remember when you had music teachers oh, in yeah. elementary school? She yeah. was a. So, I live in Salina. We still have music teachers, yeah. which is awesome. That is cool. a throwback. Yeah, we still have it. I don't think it's every day in Prosper, but they have it a little bit. <laughs> really? So, you say you, you had to, you and your mom switched roles. So, did you have to contribute financially as well? Did you have to work and contribute I didn't, that way? I didn't in high school. Mm-hmm. That it was. Uh, sufficient at that point in time, but as young married couples, Patsy and I actually had to help yeah. my mom financially. What was that like? Take us back to the mentality of now at 17 having to step up yeah. and be the leader of the house. You know what? I, sometimes I wonder today, you know, like I said a while ago, it's been 45 years, um, and the only, I have a date on my account, I mean, on my phone that comes up and reminds me. Um, so, you know, I, I never, sometimes I wonder, I've never sat down with a professional counselor and I probably should. That's what we are. We're professional. Talk, yeah, great. <laughs> We're not, very, about it. not very good it? ones. <laughs> can can <laughs> I lay down on the couch? <laughs> we took an online course. <laughs> University of Phoenix. Because hey. I think I've dealt with all that, you know, but, but here's my answer to your question. You know what? I look back and it doesn't seem like, it just seems perfectly normal and natural. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, I want to say that maybe it was a blessing in disguise that I had to step up like that. Mm-hmm. So my sister was graduating from college that same semester, and she wanted, you know, she needed to go on yeah. start her life, and I didn't want her feeling like she needed to stay in Abilene, and and uh, so she moved to the, to Dallas, Irving specifically. But um, so. Uh, you know, I never felt burdened by that or uh, like I was missing out. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. And part of that was my mom was really awesome. Even though she was hugely dependent on me, she also gave me a great deal of trust yeah. and had a lot of confidence in me. 
What, what did you dream about before this incident that you wanted to do one day? And did it change? Did it alter at all after, mm-hmm. after that happened? Oh, you know, I'm like, you guys, I pro, thought pro I was going yeah. I thought I was going to be, you know, choose between the NBA and the <laughs> NFL and, yeah. and, and water skiing at uh, Cypress Gardens in Florida. You yeah, know. Tyler, you don't know. This dude still could rip it up <laughs> yeah. behind a boat to this day, uh, for sure. Uh, well, there, anyway, I loved it so much as a kid that that's, that was kind of my first real dream was I was going to be a professional slalom skier. But I love anyway, um, you know, what's interesting, he, again, the way God weaves things together is uh, I – was gonna leave Abilene, you know. Growing up in Abilene, I was not gonna go to ACU, even though I had generations same, of same plan. fourth or fifth generation, you know. Uh, no, I was I would have been third generation, I guess, at the time. But um, you know, and then that just wasn't gonna happen after my dad died. I needed to stay in locally and mm-hmm. and to be there for my mom. And so, but that's where I met my wife of almost forty years. And yeah. The rest is the rest is history. Yeah. What I was going to tell you a while ago uh, was that my dad, you know, the thing, if you said, well, what was the one thing you wish you could have changed? And it was that intensity in his voice. But as we all know, even though I swore I would never be like that, when as a young husband and a young father, that was my greatest struggle Mm. was the intensity in my voice. And uh, even though I talked to Patsy about it and, you know, ahead of time and we talked and all that kind of thing, even with all that, it was still a, mm-hmm. a struggle for me as well. And so I can, I can vividly remember, and like I was telling you a while ago, I think kids are more capable, capable than we realize now, not a one-year-old. Cause my kids were, uh, let's see, they were like five, three and one. And I literally sat them down on the floor one night and with Patsy and, kind of confessed to them and apologized. I don't remember now what, you know, I, obviously I got lost my temper or something and used my voice the way I shouldn't. And so I sat them down on the floor, apologized to all of them. And, um, you know, they, they reacted well. And, uh, and, you know, obviously I don't know that Jason and Braden knew what I right. was talking about, right. but Carly did. Yeah. But either, either way, that's the, your point on kids can handle and they can, accomplish more than we give them credit to yep. and you know we be, have become such helicopter parents and don't play in the street and don't do this <laughs> but the the giftings that they're given at birth are astounding and grace is one of them that you don't think that something as complicated as grace can be especially as we're older right and what they're capable of giving if you just ask for it if yeah. you just ask your kids and we always think we've got to be an authoritative position and you know you've got to you know submit to us and and we'll direct and but man like the uh, teaching them to give grace and it takes practice like giving grace so start them early <laughs> and, and i love that at that early age you started that yeah yeah i had a funny father failure moment the other day <laughs> on this topic uh my oldest son my six-year-old yelled at my three-year-old <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember what the argument was about. And so I sent my six-year-old to his room. And, and I, as he was going up there, I said, hey, we need to work on, you know, how we speak to each other and not yelling and, you know, being calm and when things upset us. And so he goes up to his room and comes down later on that day. Something happens. He wasn't listening. And so I yelled at him. 
And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I thought we were working on not yelling at each other. <laughs> Got him. So they listen to everything that you say, for sure. They may not do it, but they'll listen. So this is this is true, true question, is when dealing with kids and not listening, we tend to speak louder and more intensely. Mm-hmm. So if if a child or children struggle with that, how do you how do you get them to hear you or how do you I mean maybe that's not our job to get them I mm-hmm. I I'm that it's just something that my wife my wife comes from an Italian family she's very <laughs> loud so yelling's kind of normal and like that's just kind of become the norm but to your point Ben is my my 11 year old who is unbelievable like we are so blessed with her and like her maturity and 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 just her heart and all that but like she becomes the mom too and sounds exactly like my wife with the other kids yelling at them and getting them. So how, how do, how do you get through to kids without yelling? If that seems to be the only way that they actually respond, Mm -hmm. Dr. Phil, (laughs) Uh, you know, as simple as this sounds, you, you have to kind of do the opposite. And so you have, first of all, you kind of have to remove them from, if you can, I know you can't always do that, but if it's possible to remove them from whatever they're doing, I mean, just for a minute, you know, get them and take them to another room. If you're in the car, man, one of the most powerful things is gently don't jerk over to the side of the road, but, you know, find a place to pull over and literally stop and get them only out of the car. Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Okay. I do like Tell me that. More. I like that because and that's yeah, that's a change of <laughs> of, of pattern right there. Just calm. I mean, it's a little harder to get off of some of our roads in Dallas <laughs> yeah, than it yeah. is others, but yeah. you know, it's all calm and and then you just it's all attention is on them. Oh. They'll hear you. Yeah. Of your three, just side side question, <laughs> which one which one earned more of those talkings than the other? Did any of them stick out? Yeah. Well, first of all, I wasn't always good at, as good as I just described. Um, you know, Braden, the young, he was the most obstinate. Was it? Uh, yeah, up through, um, well, maybe to today, but <laughs> I'm sure Braden will be listening. Yeah. Love you, love you, son. Um, no, he was the one that kind of would talk back mm. the most jason was our you know most he got a poor guy he got my emotions uh <laughs> in a lot of ways but he i mean he was just real easy to sure, yeah. discipline he was so i can see that it's yeah. so uh uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, uh he wanted to please yeah please yeah. everybody yeah uh but he was the one that was hardest to get his attention you're talking about you know Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. He was so, he was just all over the place. I'm talking about as a, you know, prior to 10. Right, right. 10 years old. Oh, my gosh. His motor was so fast, and he was just, (laughs) oh, my. He he was hard to get his attention. So that's why sometimes you just have to, you know, remove them from the situation to get their attention. One of the greatest things that ever happened to me was Carly did to me when she was like three years old. So I come home, I used to, you know, back to the, the, the work ethic, ethic and the performance, I would leave in the mornings before they ever woke up. And then I would, uh, take my stuff to run 
and I'd run at whatever time, mm-hmm. and then I'd usually, uh, most of the time, I'd tell Patsy, I'll sit, I'll be sitting down at the dinner table at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was kind of my deal. But I got in one night, and it was during March Madness. I mean, I remember this like it was yesterday. And we had a TV that was kind of closer to the floor, I don't, yeah. just because of the way the wall was structured. And she wanted to play this after dinner, and she wanted to play Candyland. I mean, I can remember it. And so I set Candyland down on the floor with her back to the TV <laughs> where I can look over her and watch March Madness. <laughs> Literally. I know. Is that going. horrible or what? <laughs> no, so, not at all. So we're playing. Very brilliant, actually. Sounds efficient. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking notes, actually. <laughs> so we're playing Candyland, and she gets frustrated with me. Not, and she's like, it's your move. You know, go, Dad, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Finally, she gets up, walks around the little card, whatever the play surface, and she holds my, takes my face in both of her hands, little three-year-old hands, and she says, Daddy, you look at me when I talk to you. <laughs> talk about a stab Gut in the check. heart. Man. So it's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Oh. Not only in raising my kids, but also in just, you know, talking to you guys, uh, visiting with people. that, yeah. You know, people get it in a hurry if they know you're not engaged oh for sure and so it's so rare truthfully anymore that when people when you really engage with somebody and you demonstrate that you're wanting to hear what they say you're a rock star yeah Yeah. no that's good and i I love i love that call out because that's a trait people don't put enough emphasis on as important i just think of how other people how it makes me feel when i recognize that Mm -hmm. Internally, and and then, you know, the 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 feedback that you do get from other people, like, hey, man, like, you know, there was fifty people in the in the crowd, and I literally couldn't take my eyes off of you because you were engaging with me just non-verbally. Like, how important that really truly is, because that does impact people. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say a word. Yeah, you just have to. <laughs> you just have to engage. That's, that's right. a good lesson. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out at Sleep Number store wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep Number is definitely changing the game when it comes to bedding. So get yourself to Sleep Number. Get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. So you mentioned Miss Mrs. Patsy. Patsy Boone, who, like you, has massive heart for people and just loves people. How did y'all meet? Take us back to that. <laughs> did you have game back in the day? Like, did you, or did she come to you? How did, how did that go down? You know what, Ben? I'm not going to let you bait me into that conversation. <laughs> um, so, actually, her older brother introduced us. So, I'm, nice. I'm indebted to her older brother yeah. always for introducing that's, us. That's, say, that's saying a lot. Yeah. 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 So, Yeah. He, in uh, school at, at ACU? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was my big brother in our fraternity, oh, and, yeah. and we hung out one night later than we should have, and 
I guess I can say on this telecast over a six pack of beer and mm-hmm. uh, and just talked late and you know early into the morning and the next day he just came to the conclusion after that conversation that I needed to marry his little sister. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, because usually I mean I've never had a sister, but it's usually the protection my, mode. My sister's ten years younger than me, and she just got married two years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, and I still I love them. Love them, but it's still. <laughs> are you good enough for my for my baby sister? You must have been engaged in the conversation yeah, less than a while. Well. Yeah, wait till it's your daughter. Yeah, yeah, two, both daughters. I know. I, no I doubt. it's forty years from now. It's going to come up quick. <laughs> so, so a little a little inside baseball here. Abilene Christian, where both of us went to school, they don't have fraternities. They have they're called social clubs, and the male social clubs, the the bad boys of the school. Is a club called Sub T sixteen, and that's what. So this buttoned up gentleman that sits here in front of us today wasn't always so. He was a. You were a subber back in the day. <laughs> I tell people we're the, we're poster boys for the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, anyway, meet Miss Patsy. Y'all get married when? After my senior year, but. After her junior year, so okay. she had another so year. So that's that's it, really how I got started. That's kind of the rule at Abilene is you do have to get <laughs> married by in spring. college. That's right. right. <laughs> that's right. Same story with me. I was just graduating. My wife was still in school. Had a. It, it's more common than you think. There, I believe for it. Sure, I believe it. So, and so it. You obviously, y'all stayed in Abilene until she was done. Yep. What What were you doing for a living? I started the, the life insurance business. Greatest started one. I started in the. Life oh, I thought college. you said you started a no, life insurance. Okay. No, 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 no. And uh, greatest discipline, man, is the best. I'm so thankful now that I did. I had an old, old college football coach that started recruiting me when I was a freshman, you know, and I was like, dude, I'm going to I'm gonna go sell commercial real estate. I'm going to do something. I'm going to move to Dallas. I'm yeah. going to go do this. Well, then Patsy's a year younger than me, and her dad says, if you'll let her finish, I'll finish paying for it. And I said, deal. <laughs> so I got started in the life insurance business in Abilene. And, it, you know, my – my grandparents had lived, my mom's parents had lived there forever. My dad, as I told you, was high school principal. So it's kind of like I knew, I didn't know everybody in mm-hmm. town, but I felt like I did. Yeah. And so I just, you know, Patsy says that her, it was miserable for her. We had this little bitty one bedroom apartment that first year I was in the business. And on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights, man, I was dialing, I was calling people at night because most people, initially that I could call on, they had to work all day. Yeah, they couldn't have right. a meeting with yeah. a guy, you know, during the day. They were working hard because they were younger people initially. And so I was calling people on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights trying to set meetings for the next Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights. And I was, and she remembers that of just being like, oh, it was awful because, you know, I'd get so many no's or not get them or whatever. I don't have that memory. I mean, I have the memory <laughs> of going, man, I am – Killing better it. at this than <laughs> anybody that's ever done it you know which makes you the perfect person for that job <laughs> yeah oh. and, and i also liked kind of trying to distinguish myself a little bit and not be the stereotypical mm-hmm. you know sales guy yeah. that everybody can't you know that yeah. runs from when so they see me coming perspective for those listeners that are let's just say 32 and younger so before you were born or when you were very young, there was this thing on the wall called the telephone. <laughs> and so there wasn't email, there wasn't cell phones, there wasn't pagers even. Mm-hmm. It was, hey, I have to catch you when you're in your house mm-hmm. and 
tastefully not during family dinner time. Mm-hmm. So you've either got a window from like 4.45 to 5.30, 4.45 being a little bit early because people actually used to work full days back then. <laughs> um, so you really got like 6.30 to 8. Otherwise, after 8 o'clock, it's too late, right? Now you're into like, so you had a very small window that you had to concentrate yes. those sales calls into. How did you handle, I mean, I know your wife said, but how did you handle no's? Like, I know you don't remember them. You blacked out when I said no. But but handling rejection. How? Because yeah. some people are wired where it doesn't bother you, and it right. just do on to the next one. Me, it crushes me. Like yeah. I hate no's. Yeah. I hate them because I feel like it's an attack on me as a person. I can't separate that. Yeah. Well, I you know I read the books. I listened to the motivational speakers, and so honestly, when you first asked that question, it immediately popped in my head. It, Getting a no just means I'm one call closer to a yes. Yeah. 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 That's a good mentality. Yeah, I know that mentally tougher pretty... than I am, for sure. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is just a cultural, like a modern cultural thing, or if this was a struggle for you and, and your generation. You know, you had these dreams of being a professional athlete. That didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Now you're sitting here cold calling people at mm-hmm. 8.30 at night on a Monday. Was there any sense of, this is just not what I want to be doing? Yeah. At all. Well, first of all, let me tell you that, and I, I mean this when I say it, I've never made a cold call in my life. Mm. So if I don't know the person I'm calling, like right now with He Gets Us that we're going to yeah. talk about, I, I'm calling on a lot of people that I don't personally know, but I'm never going to call somebody that I don't already have someone else. And my goal is to have someone else that loves them. Yes. And that they love. Yeah. And so back to your question, though, I, I mean, I, I don't feel like I've ever made a cold call. Yeah. Now, I have just because sure. I couldn't figure out how to get to somebody that I wanted to get to. Yeah. But it's not wise. Yeah. I mean, the success rate is yeah. very, very low. low. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, Ben, I, the, I never really felt like, you know, why did my dad die and why did, you know, why did I not be able to move to Dallas when I wanted to and why am I doing the – you know why I started in the life insurance business? This is why I had a finance degree. And I turned down some of you, the old commercial real estate guys. If anybody's listening to this, you know, back in the day, everybody went to work for Trammell Crow. Trammell, Trammell yeah. Crow was the largest real estate company in the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what Trammell Crow was. I got offered a job to be the leasing guy for a new bank building in Abilene, Texas, as the leasing agent. I didn't know what that was. And I was back to the deal. So there were advantages to being having to step up and be in charge, but there are also disadvantages. I thought I knew everything. I I didn't ask advice of men and women, but I didn't ask advice like I should have in my early twenties. I just was too arrogant and you know, figured out, thought, hey, I'm I've been running this show. I don't need to ask anybody. I turned down an offer to work for Trammell Crow because I didn't investigate what it was. Mm. I was just anyway. That's like turning down a job from Tesla today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I the reason I went into life insurance really in the beginning and sales yeah. is because I didn't have any money and I wanted to have my own business. And so I figured the quickest way to build capital in my world was through sales. Mm. I I dreamed at one time I was going to go to law school and I was going to be the best, you know, uh, courtroom attorney in the world. You right. Know? And, uh, but I fell in love and 
law school seemed like, you know, back, remember yeah. when you used to think three years was a long time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I thought, man, there's no way I'm going to go to law school. I got to get out. Three years. And I was broke. I mean, I worked every summer. I worked most semesters in college. Mm -hmm. It's when I started roofing houses. And and that I fell in love with getting paid for what you produce. Yes. Instead of other way around. Yeah, you talk about that a lot, Tyler. The business we're in, there's not an obvious progress at the end of each day. Like there is in roofing, for Mm -hmm. instance. Um, so you've talked about that of yeah. you would you know it'd be nice to have a job where you can see measurable yeah progress each day as opposed yeah. to it's it's like subjective gains it's you you can't measure it technically mm-hmm. yeah you can you can chart it you can measure they can say okay hey progress here progress progress like you can do all that but you could also do all of that and get to final like what we do lease execution or or closing of a, of a property and literally it could fall apart. And all of that was for nothing. Right. As opposed to, all right, I know this job is going to take, take two days, day one. Okay. I got three quarters. I got everything ripped off. I got everything sheeted and I got half the shingles on and I got to come back, finish it up, finish up the trim, finish up all the, uh, the gutters, boom, done pay me. And it's done. Yeah. As opposed to all right, we're going to spend four and a half years on this project, hoping that it, finishes right and so that's for for us we do talk about just the challenge in that um you know hopefully you've got a yeah yeah it's it's a challenge so i i agree on the sales side the other great thing and and roger staubach told me this i was lucky enough to sit down with him as i was retiring was like the sales side brokerage what we do is you can get an education while making a good living you know, whatever you want to do on the other side of this, but sales is the fastest way to one, create a network to get education in whatever field that you're, that you're working in. And then three, make a good living for your family. Absolutely. So let's maybe fast forward just a little bit. You start having kids. Um, and then eventually y'all end up moving to Austin for ministry. If I'm not that's what it ended up being, but okay. we moved a company there. Okay. Yeah. The life yeah. insurance company. No, uh, Patrick. We jump. So we we're, 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 we're jump. Maybe jump. We're gonna jump back. We're gonna jump back. Maybe we jumped way too no, far. No, it's okay. <laughs> Let, let's do. Let's do jump there. But uh, Pat, the reason I was grinning is Patsy says I've had more jobs or careers than anybody <laughs> she knows of, and we've moved more. And all. Sure. But uh, truth is, uh, you know, whenever I come to a point where I feel like I'm not really providing great benefit for whoever I'm around, or I'm not enjoying who I'm with, you know, working with. Life's too short, yeah. And yeah. so I just never have let that. Yeah, it's like keep you got me. one shot at life. I weasel that into every single So then, what? Then what we led moved, you? To, yeah, we yeah, moved the company to Austin, a company that I had done a. I wrote some curriculum called uh, uh, strategic accountability, and so I'd work with companies with their management team, basically set a three-year plan, and then back it up to what needed to be done in the next 12 weeks. And then I would go in every 12 weeks and basically use the greatest thing in the world, which is positive peer pressure. And in front of you, I would say, so, Tyler, did you get XXX? Did you get this done? And in front of your management peers, you'd have to say yes or no or Mm -hmm. why we didn't hit that target or whatever. So the companies that did it, they, they loved it. It changed. Yeah. It really made them effective. Well, one of those companies 
made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And they were moving a company to Austin and wanted me to be in charge of their sales. So that's that's mm. why we thought we moved to Austin. Gotcha. But the truth is, long story short, you can ask what you want to, but we ended up actually starting a church for, in the beginning it was just men. <laughs> I mean, women could come, but it was for men transitioning from the state penitentiary back to yeah. free society. Mm. And I, Ben knows this. My kids were in the beginning. So this would have been when they were in – well, I'll just take Carly and then subtract two years on each boy. But she was in the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So for almost four years, well, pretty much four years, uh, every almost every Sunday we were with men and women that had been uh, in the state prison, and that's who we worshiped with. And it was unbelievable. We saw the best of the Holy Spirit and the worst of the evil spirit. And so the kids, you know, they saw it all, and they felt like if they weren't there that it wasn't going to go right because they were passing out sheet music, and they were, man, it was the most incredible experience. I mean, they're, I, I don't like to ever look back and go, this is the greatest thing that ever happened in my life, but I will tell you that the the effects that the Freedom Church, that was the name of it, the effects the Freedom Church had on my family, uh, I just there's nothing else. I mean, my kids are... I'm not going to say they're completely colorblind, but they're pretty close as as a human can be. They they have, uh, and it's it's because of that experience, both uh, you know, ethnic diversity, economic diversity, educational diversity, all those things. My kids, you know, they just my kids love everybody, and yeah. and that's by the grace of God. Yeah, we talk about this a lot because the areas that we live now are the majority of the community looks like mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. you know, young families, same sort of income level. And so that's, and I was not raised that way, you know, neither were your kids and the way you raised them. And that's my big, that's one of my, well, there's a lot of big things that I think about, <laughs> but that's one of my biggest things is how do I teach my kids? How do I expose them and give them perspective? So how important is that? Do you think for a young person to get early in life is that perspective, and, and, and it, obviously you implemented that through the Freedom Church, but talk about how, a little bit more about how that important that was for your kids to, to not just hear about it, but actually live it, experience it, see it, and it's obviously impacted them today. Well, you've asked me a question that uh, most people don't like to hear the answer to, and I'm going to tell you, Ben, that it's maybe the third most important decision that you'll make is how to get your kids exposed to the real world, uh, unless unless they have the perspective, or you have the perspective that you that your your goal is to live in that bubble for the all your life, and if that's the goal, then that's okay. Uh, but otherwise, the truth is, I I don't I could give you all kinds of statistics of how many languages are spoken in Dallas, Texas today. I could give you, you know, perspective on. All kinds of things. We don't need to get that in. But the bottom line is the world doesn't look like us, doesn't talk like us. Now, in the economic world, English is still the dominant language. Um, so, you know, it just, it honestly, it depends on your priorities. It depends on what you, uh, what you think is most important for your kids as they become adults. And I'm not saying it's a right or wrong answer, but I, I will say that you need to decide kind of what your priorities are in that respect. Because if you don't, then by not making a decision, 
it'll you know make the decision for that's you. right that's yeah, right that's good that's good so you you mentioned that was those four years were some of the best years that you can recall back on what ended up you ended up moving back to Abilene after <laughs> that what why why leave if those times were so amazing you're gonna think I planned this so uh it was um it was because we lived in an area that was uh, a resort 24-7, um, and everybody had a ton of money or they acted like they did, one or the other. And again, that's not, I'm not, that's fine, but our daughter came home from, she was about to be a freshman in high, high school, and she came home from a slumber party and basically just said, I don't want my brothers going to high school here. Wow. <laughs> she said that she said that wow as a 14 year old and so anyway but but also in addition to that patsy and i had been praying about how we want you know did we want to put the kids in an area where there was more ethnic and economic diversity and so we moved back to abilene because as you know yeah. it it has all that that's and right. and um so that's why we we moved back literally that was like in july of that summer and so how old were the kids at that time uh going into freshman year of high school okay. going okay. into eighth i mean uh seventh grade and going into fifth grade yeah. okay yep those are some pretty important yeah, those are, times those are i mean those are There's tough lots. transition years yeah. yeah how did carly and if you don't want to share that's fine no kid how did your kids in general that's that's a tough time to move yeah um they absolutely loved our time in the Austin area. Um, and like I say, the Freedom Church was a huge part of that and their development. They probably didn't know it at the time, but that was just so huge in their development. You know, they did well because, of, you know, made friends pretty quickly. And, and uh, you know, Carly was, as they I said back then, I guess they still, they still say she was a baller. Yeah. She, she, <laughs> yeah, was a, yeah. she was a big-time baller as a freshman and, you know, started making the – varsity as yeah. a freshman and all yeah. and three three sports yeah. so until she, she could drive i was always yeah. up in the parking lot at 2 a.m in the morning waiting for her to get home you know because she was embarrassed to ask the older girls <laughs> to give her a ride home yeah. you know that, so. think about that the, the biggest school <laughs> one of the biggest schools in the, in the state and she was about that carla boone's a legend back in abilene and three sport varsity starter or star as a freshman i mean that's that's big time. That's big time. She she wasn't a starter her freshman year of volleyball, but she was moved up yeah, to the varsity. That's awesome. Yeah, she graduated wow. with nine varsity letters. She'll be so mad at me that's if she listens awesome. to this. Yeah. Yeah. She was, <laughs> she was a baller, man. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 That's great. So moved back to Abilene, and when did you pick back up working yeah, for work Abilene? So, yeah, Abilene Christian? So when you left Austin – okay, so – I want to go back to Austin. You were working sales when you got there. Did you stay with that, or were you full-time ministry? Were you still no, no, working? No, I, I stayed with that. I ended up being the CEO of that company. Okay. Um, and So you moved the that. headquarters back to uh, Abilene? No. <laughs> I, actually, uh, I actually... We see that more than you'd think. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually ended up resigning from that yeah. company, and, yeah. uh, and then I'd gotten into... Uh, really raising capital for yeah. startups, you know, that mm -hmm. in, in the late nineties in Austin, Texas, that was like the Silicon Valley of Texas. I mean, it was crazy. Mm. And so I got into that world raising, raising money and got yeah. into it by the way, through relationships that I made through my kids, yeah. my kids sports. Mm. I was on the board of the 
youth association and met so many great people that were man they were just starting businesses right and left and so that's kind of what i was doing and then i it didn't matter where i lived because i was doing it in abilene i mean in austin abilene midland dallas and so that's why we could move back to abilene abilene is actually a perfect spot for that yep kind of centrally located so so drop a little life knowledge as you've been doing this whole time (laughs) in regards to money yeah because you've been rubbing elbows with high net worth individuals for a long time you did well yourself obviously Talk to us about because I remember I remember and it actually happened you know within the last couple of years that switch in your mind when money doesn't do what you think that it does it's not as fulfilling it's not as again I, I don't want this to sound ungrateful obviously I'm grateful for the for the job that I have but I had played it up so much in my head of what this was going to do to my life mm-hmm. and when it didn't do that it was kind of a punch in the face for me and again good problem to have but. With all your experience, all your time in that world, what was that like for you? Did you ever have an aha moment with it as far as this isn't as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be? Did you have that experience at all? Yeah, I'll edge that two ways. So the first time I had that was in, so I was 27 years old, and believe it or not, you guys, the 401Ks were not, a thing until like 1985 so in 1987 when I was 27 I was a kind of a dangerous combination I was a life insurance salesman but I'd also gotten my series 6 and series 22 licenses and so I could sell a lot of things or help people invest their money and so I was going and calling on CFOs of companies and helping them set up 401k plans for their employees yeah. yeah for their benefits and then selling product inside it yeah. yeah. And so in 1987, I made more money than I ever dreamed I would make. And, um, and my first aha was how fast that I spent it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we invested some and we did some things, but, but it was just like, it's gone. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. And so that was kind of the first aha. Uh-huh. And back in the late 80s, so many of y'all won't know what this means. Back in the late 80s, you know, I'd learned in college to to uh, diversify. And so we invested in oil and gas. We invested in banks. We invested in real estate. We invested in uh, a restaurant chain, which I knew was stupid, but we did a restaurant chain. And in the late 80s is when the whole banking industry and real estate, I mean, it went yeah. bust. Yeah. And if – only by the grace of God, seriously, I didn't, I almost invested too much of our net worth in those things or otherwise it would have been real close to, mm. to filing for personal bankruptcy because we had invested in several things that didn't do well. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't make that much money, but I say more money. I mean, to me, it was more sure, money sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, all uh, in 1987. So that was my first aha is just how quickly it goes. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really great, I'm thankful for that, that, that lesson um you know ben i don't think there's another tyler i don't think there's another time that you know some specific event uh it's just as you you know as your kids as you start having when they're teenagers and you start having adult conversations so to speak with your kids and realizing how important uh those those things are and your friendships i heard a guy say the other day that oh Bob Bodine, shout out to Bob Bodine. He said, uh, um, 
that men don't do very good at making friends when you're trying to build your businesses, your careers, yeah. because you're so busy. And he said, if you don't get good at making men, if men don't get good at making friends, well, like real friends, before they're 60, that after 60, they don't even try. Yeah. Mm. And so, anyway, I got to that by just saying that I think life just, well, if you stop every now and then and decide what your priorities are, Mm. then as you mature in life, uh, amounts of money become less important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's good. Yeah. So, so like the, the cliche phrase, like time is money. Um, you yourself, um, have seen professional success, um, within your network. Same, right. A lot of individuals that, that have had professional success. Um, what, one thing I think even if it, Ben and I, um, struggle with sometimes is the amount of time we'll spend on something for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, it started with me when I was playing and I used to get asked to speak at like FCAs all the time. Mm-hmm. And it got so bad to the point where I don't know who gave my number out, but now the kids started trading my phone number. <laughs> so like every elementary school or high school or junior high, these kids would be calling, ask if I could come speak there. And especially that, right. You're like, I can't say no. That? like yeah, you no. just share my testimony like i can't say no to that but the director of the fca he pulled me aside and he's a good friend back in back in the clovis area and uh he said listen like you've got to charge them they've got to value your time so for someone that did so has done so many things over your career and seen and and, and met and worked alongside so many other people what is your advice on valuing the time that you put into certain things? Yeah, man, that's a great question. So I'll give you one example answer it was only about, so fast forward back to Abilene, I ended mm-hmm. up raising money for Abilene Christian university. So all the way from, I started off directing a big centennial campaign. So this was 2003. So for about tw- almost 20 years, 19 years specifically, I helped raise money for ACU. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that did put me in the problem. I mean, when you think about it, it's one thing to, for somebody to make millions of dollars. It's another thing for somebody to give away millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so it's a whole nother echelon and level, not only of financial uh, strength, but also of generosity. I yes. mean, it's just, it's just really, really, I mean, I've had such a blessed uh, career in that respect of being around people that have that kind of generosity. And so, um, so, uh, you know, uh, I forgot where I was headed with that. Um, what was your specific Yeah, question? more of like, um, yeah, time is money. Oh, making yeah. sure you take, yeah. So, over the years, I would do almost back to that deal of making people more important than yourself. Mm-hmm. So, if you asked people, say, why do you think Phil has been successful at raising money? my wife would say, who knows me better than anybody, she would say it's because people know that Phil truly cares about them and their kids and their grandkids. Mm. Well, I wouldn't have said that, but she said that. It's been years ago now. And and so, praise God. I mean, she's right. I just didn't know it came out as well as it did. So, I'm getting to the answer your question. So I would, man, I've, I've, there's no telling how much money I've helped other people make 
just because I've introduced them to people. Yeah. And about six, eight years ago. And so the reason I did, I, my goal was to make, I want to make everybody more successful. But yeah. when I was raising money for ACU, I was wanting to make people more successful that could give more they money to ACU. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that power of uh, reciprocity. And, and so that's why I would do it. But about six, eight years ago, a good friend of mine said, hey, man, when you do that, like I've raised seed money. I've helped people raise seed, seed money for companies that have gone on to be worth millions and millions of dollars. And he's like, you know, I know you do that to help people give more money to ACU, but when are you going to do a little bit of that for your own family? Mm. And I was like, hmm. You know, and then I went through this whole deal of feeling guilty and feeling uh, like a conflict of interest mm. or whatever else. And he finally helped me realize. So now, back to your example of the kids getting your phone number, mm. when people call me and ask me, they'll say, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? Well, obviously, first thing I say is, well, what are you going to, what do you want to talk to them about? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, can I get their, their cell number and email? And I'll say, well, let me talk to them. I'll talk to them first and I'll let you know. So I've always done that. Yeah. Always. But now if I know if it's about raising capital, then I say, you know, I give them a percentage and I say, well, if, if, yeah. if I'm going to help you do that, I'm not going to the meetings, but if I'm going to put you in front of them, then this is what the relationship. And that's what people, I, I don't think, and we talk about this all the time. If you set a meeting and you get in and use your relationship to create business and revenue, you shouldn't feel guilty for taking a, taking a percentage of the revenue yeah. that's generated from your relationship. Right. And I, and that, that guilt and like, <laughs> ah, should I do that? I always, cause I always want to connect and I always want people and I always want yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's just hard. I, yeah. And there's been examples in the last couple of years where it's like, Hey, I've, you know, essentially placed people on boards and they've got equity in the company and they've exited the company with like a 30 multiple from what they came in yeah. at the value, all these things. And it's like, and I'm, and I really am, am very happy for them. Right. There's never that like, Oh, well, I should have gotten mine. But at the same time, I think as your friend helped you see, it's like, how how much did I potentially leave on the table for my family mm-hmm. to provide for them? Yeah. So, but that's just a that's a dance. What about from a time standpoint? Mm-hmm. And and something I struggle with is wanting to say yes to everybody. What is how do you kind of really run through like for you to take time today? Right, um, you have a lot that you've got to do, but this something is something that is worth my time. Right. Um, and then when you do have to say no, like, how do you gracefully do that yeah. to someone? Yeah. You know what? I didn't know this was going to come up today. I, I want to encourage you and everybody listening. People talk about retirement in different ways, and that's great. And people, what they're going to be doing when they're – so I'm 62. Mm. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm I'm just hitting my stride. Yeah. I'm just hitting my stride. And what I mean by that is is, is – when I speak to young people, college age people, whatever I say, my relational net worth is incalculable. Yeah. And it's all by the grace of God that I've got these relationships. And so the reason I bring that up is, is that I'm in some ways, well, no, in every, I'm busier than I've ever been or can be busier. And so seriously, 
my wife and I sat down uh, last March, and we it's a continuing, ongoing conversation to talk about. We're in the fourth quarter, any way you want to look at it. Yeah. And so we said, what are our priorities going to be in the fourth quarter? Mm. So I don't mean to oversimplify. It's not simple ever, but I would encourage th- their phases. That's the other thing I tell my adult kids is life is about phases. You're Don't get too excited or too disappointed because it's going to change. Mm-hmm. Life is phases, and so there's times when here's – the, here's the key answer, though – is you've got to you got to sit down and look at your priorities when the phase changes, mm-hmm. okay? Because it's going to be different. You're a little bit ahead of Ben, but when your kids are in their middle school and high school years, y'all, when that starts happening, you really that's a different phase yeah. than it is right now. So you need to say, okay, time out. Let's reprioritize for this phase. And so um, that has helped me say no uh lately uh but uh, it's hard it's hard i we're we like to say yes yes (laughs) yes no i I mean i knew i knew this was going to be just pure gold from the from the minute we started and this has been great it it actually that's a perfect segue into what you're doing now Mm -hmm. because you talked about you're 62 now (laughs) not exactly what most people think of as a time to start a new job new Mm -hmm. career Mm -hmm. you know it's, it's similar to what you were doing but it's led you to what we, you know, wanted to talk about today is is the He Gets Us campaign, yeah. which is getting all the headlines right now because of the Super Bowl ads and the millions of dollars spent and millions of dollars well, play, raised. Playoffs and, before that. Right. And, I mean, the NCAA, you know, the NCAA playoffs. And, yeah. Um, it's it, it the last two to three months, it's been on the forefront. Yeah, and it's, again, it's getting all the headlines. So what led you to wanting to work with this organization? And what is, if, if for those of the – people that are unfamiliar what is he gets us what's the mission overall with what's going on there all right i want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner choctaw casino and resort uh we are really really humbled uh and grateful to be a partner for them if you've listened to the show for any amount of time uh you've heard how great the resort is there how great the casino is the new expansion they've doubled in size three thousand new slots they've got unbelievable sports bar they've got unbelievable restaurants unbelievable movie theaters arcades for kids it is endless the things that they've not only improved but added um but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none choctaw nation has done an incredible job with the community with philanthropy with support um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive up 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. Yeah, so let me kind of say it one way, and then I'm going to go back to your complete question. But this momentum that you're seeing, that people are seeing, the media is what we call the air game. So it'll help me explain it as we go through and just so you know, that's it's going to be more like that from in 2023, 2024, and 2025. That's the plan right now. Now, this has never been done before. What I'm about to explain is that he gets his campaign. It's never been done quite like this before in, in anything that we're aware of. And so we're learning. Mm-hmm. And talk about having to take a dose of humility every day. I mean, seriously, you guys, when we when we meet as a – as a team together, we say, okay, what did we, what did we know? What do we know today that we didn't know last week? 
it's it's incredible fast yeah. yeah so now there have been for example uh is it okay to say products on the podcast i guess <laughs> oh, absolutely. so you know when when apple came out with the new iphone 14 which i don't have but when they did we are learning like how do you how do you buy media for the entire nation that you want everybody to learn about that brand you know how do you do that how do you buy it now we've got the best in the business at you know uh, haven is a marketing firm out of michigan from, that's been with us from the beginning yep. lerma here in dallas texas downtown dallas l-e-r-m-a lerma age they're actually the ones that actually produce the what content. you see yeah they're the ones that's that, some of those folks in okay Phoenix. yeah oh man they're awesome yeah and so uh so we're learning from all that but here's the deal so it still hadn't been two years march of 2021 of literally three a handful of families three generations a handful of families got together to just discuss you know morality you can argue that morality's been in the ditch for decades yeah. in the united states or you could say it was worse in the 20s or whatever but it's this rapid decline of the general morality of the united states in the last few years yeah. and started discussing that and so they developed a problem question you know, you got to start somewhere. And the problem question is, how did the world's greatest love story become known as a hate group? Mm. And so the story, obviously, of Jesus that uh, took our place, took our sins so that we can be re reunited with God, our creator. And so that's kind of the, how did that love story become in so many circles, especially in uh, uh, media, and and I don't mean just, I'm not blaming it on media, I'm saying, but it's, it's uh, social media has so rapidly increased people that really don't know the story, and yet because of maybe what Christians or more out moral people have been against is why, you know, Sometimes you're saying, well, that's a hate group. Why would I want to be associated with them? Yeah. So that was the problem question. So the, I, so research was started, uh, millions of dollars spent on uh, nationwide research, thousands of Americans from different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different ages, around would people, basically the goal was to find out, would people be interested in learning more about Jesus? Mm. And it, it's just the, the response was phenomenal in the – surveys initially and then did a 10 week 10 city kind of splash which was march madness last year mm -hmm. actually actually the 10 week deal was even done before march madness but it went so well the response that uh that's when it was like we got to do this not we don't just need so seed money was given in the beginning and then then we needed to you know really start raising money and spending money and so it's a billion dollar campaign and Thank God we got about five hundred, little over five hundred million uh, so far. But um, so air game, so what you're seeing. So here's here's the real purpose. Is on one hand you can say we want to make Jesus the best known brand in America, but the goal number one is to is to raise the respect and relevancy of Jesus in the United States. That's goal number one. But the air game is designed. What we want to happen is action number one. When you see an ad, we want people to go to hegetsus.com. So that's action number one. Action number two is when people visit hegetsus.com, they can watch several 
couple of dozen videos from 15 seconds to over a minute, both in English and Spanish now, all of them are. And it's about the characteristics of the man, Jesus, that walked the earth. What made him uh, a great leader? What attracted people to him? So it's about that. And then it's about the things that he went through in his life on earth uh, because it, hence the name of the campaign, he gets us. Because he went through betrayal. He had family conflict, serious family conflict. He had uh, jealousy. You know, he was faced with jealousy. He was faced with disappointment. He was faced with um, brutality. Uh, you know, so you can go on and on. And so the point is, is when people go there and they watch those videos, action number two is they can raise their hand digitally, which means usually the way that started is we have a 24-7 chat room or chat space and so people start chatting and then they say well i'd rather switch to text and so we text with them the goal being in that either one we get immediately right to their cell phone we send a seven-day bible reading a bible reading plan on fear or on anxiety or on disappointment and so that's one way but what we're trying to do is to keep them connected to them long enough to eventually say hey May we connect you to one of our ministry or church partners in your zip code? Yeah. So that's the air game. If they agree to do that and we actually connect them to, say, somebody in 75220 here in Dallas, Texas or whatever, then then that begins what we call the ground game. Okay? And the ground game is what we like to call the unlimited resources of the body of Christ. So what we're trying to do with some of the money that we raise is we're making sure that every church that wants to participate, that wants to receive, I'm sorry, we call those people explorers. Mm -hmm. So if a church or a ministry wants to receive explorers, we want to make sure that they're lacking in nothing. Yeah. So whether that's training or resources or teaching materials or, uh, you know, celebrate recovery or addiction you know, ministries or counseling, Christian counseling, all kinds of things. We want every church that wants to receive explorers. And basically what that means is, first, it's a connection. You guys know, team. It's just being connected to something. And then it's make a friend. And then from that, obviously, you try to provide what they need and hopefully uh, build a long-term relationship. And uh, one of the one of the guys in the in that founding group summarized it this way. And I'm just going to do this for people is, is the whole point is we want people initially to say, Hey, he gets us. He gets me. He has a story and a family and he wants me in it. Mm. Love it. <laughs> I love, and I love, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. No. Cheers. Go. What I love. Um, and I, I wish through through my lifetime and my experience with churches, the mindset was more in line with the He Gets Us campaign because I, I think people that maybe aren't familiar, um, one, with, with, with the Bible and, and, and the teachings from Jesus is the church is not a building. The church is not a staff. It's not a denomination. The, the church is the people. 
And what I've, I've, I've struggled with with churches is that you see them want to cannibalize their membership and they want to hold on to them tight because they're, the church is its own business and that's where the revenue comes from is from tithing. And you lose track of the overall mission. And number one is to have a relationship with Jesus. And what y'all are doing is it's not, hey, 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 come on, come on, come on in. And then we're going to ask you for something. It's, hey, come here. And then we're going to, and then we're going to, we want to encourage you to go somewhere that you can further um, mature your relationship with Jesus and, and provide resources for that. It's not, it's not holding on to them and not letting them go. I, I love that. And I just, I wish, like you said, no one's done this before. I don't know. I don't know anything like this. I mean, I'm sure there's maybe some smaller foundations, nonprofits, ministries that are plugging to connect and stuff like that for more specific, but centered around Jesus, connecting out to the people, the church. Uh, I just love that. Well, be encouraged. This in my entire life in the last six months, I've seen more cooperation and encouragement between separate individual whatever churches than I've ever seen. Yeah. So it's be encouraged. It's it's it. it's creating some great cooperation. I love it. Oh. The the articles and things that the detractors, the haters <laughs> yeah. would say there's just so many ways you can use that money. What is y'all's response yeah. to the, the criticism about how the money's being used? Well, there's a couple of ways. I mean one uh, remember the story in the Bible where the 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 woman that was had been forgiven much for her lifestyle came and had a very expensive jar or container of fragrant yep. perfume ointment and she broke it and poured it over anointed Jesus and remember who criticized her mm-hmm. was the treasury keeper. Yeah. What is that? Could have sold that, given the money to the poor. Right, yeah. right. So there's one example, and we're just saying that you know that this this effort in this world, if we're going to take on the counter, you know, the culture that we talked about a while ago, that uh, you know, it takes that kind of money to in the, to to make this strategy successful, and so we feel like we're you know we're anointing Jesus with this money. So anyway. Uh, Here's the other thing that I love to answer is that all the wonderful ministries about Jesus that are out there that are being done, some we know about, millions that we don't, but also ministries of other religious groups that may not promote Jesus, guess what this campaign is doing? It is softening the soil for everybody. This campaign is... It really is preparing people's hearts to receive values of people that are peaceful, people that are forgiving, people that are gracious. You talked about grace earlier in the children. That's why that first spot on the Super Bowl the other night about having childlike faith. Don't act like an adult. Be childlike. Mm-hmm. And so this can't, I mean, how do you put a value on that? You can't, you can't even value Yes, we spent sixteen point five million dollars just on the meat, just on the airtime. But how do you put a value on that if if the message that's going out is improving all the efforts to some extent? I don't want people to say we're trying to take too much credit. I'm just saying it's so positive yeah. right. to to instill in people, 
what do you think people desire the most right now? When we survey, we survey, we have a group. That's right. We have a group called McQueen Analytics that talks to surveys 800 people every week mm. and is asking them, what do you think of the ads? What do you think of this? What do you feel about that? And we ask them, one of the, my favorite questions is, "What? why are you attracted to Jesus? Why do you want to learn more about Jesus? There's a couple of dozen answers, but the four most frequent and number one, you answered it, Tyler, number one is he is peaceful. Mm-hmm. People want peace in this world. Doesn't matter whether they live in Frisco or they live in Turkey, they want peace. Mm-hmm. And they want peace for their kids mm-hmm. and peace for their friends. So it's peace. Uh, he was peaceful. He was approachable. You know, people are so sick and tired of the important in the world not being approachable. Forgiveness, and he loves everybody. Those are the four top responses. I, I, the the criticism it's so funny to me, <laughs> and and I and I have I have empathy for those that just that have not had a relationship with Jesus. But you 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 criticize and say, oh, they spent so much money on an ad for Jesus. Well, I'm pretty sure Frito Lay or Doritos spent about the same on commercials slinging chips. We're sling an eternity here. Like what, what is more important to spend your money on? And so I just, I, it just, it just cracks me up, but I, well, I'd imagine though, a lot of the criticism is from believers as well. So it's not just the people that don't yeah. believe in that story. It's I'm yeah. sure the people that disagree with the method. So that's, that is true. Yeah. We have, we have gotten probably more of that. Well, prior to the Super Bowl, we yeah. got more from, uh, yeah, yeah, different parts of of Christian community, but mm. not not a not a lot, and that's okay. Isn't it funny? Human nature. Think back when we were kids. What is it about us that when somebody else thinks of something before we do or has success in something, why do we why do we try to tear it down and make it yeah, not yeah. as important? I, I, I've I've wondered that exactly. Why are we like that? You're not going to yeah. get it. It's already been done. So like you're. <laughs> Why do you not want them to have it? Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I, I know we got to wrap up here soon, yeah. but I'm curious not not from the he gets perspective, but from Phil Boone's perspective. We we've been talking a lot lately, and especially as we raise young kids, you know, suicide suicide rates are up, depression is up, all of these negative statistics are on the rise, good statistics on the decline. From your perspective, how much does purpose? or a lack of potentially a lack of purpose play into, is it a correlation at all? Is it nothing to do with it at all? Like what is your perspective on maybe a sense of, are we losing our sense of purpose mm-hmm. as a culture? Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, that idea? Before I answer that question, I got to give you one more uh, saying because it's one of your favorites oh, yeah? before we forget it. Yeah. So you will remember I didn't do my oldest son's wedding. I didn't, wasn't the efficient, but I wrote a letter oh. and read it. And one of the li- I actually have it copyrighted now <laughs> because the response was so good from it. But being so, this is to both of you guys, all you all you husbands out there. And so, uh, kiss her good morning, kiss her goodbye, kiss her hello, kiss her good night, every day, every day. Yeah, I remember you said that Jason's wedding it stuck with me. That was. Six years ago now, mm. yeah, it stuck with me every day. 
Well, 2015. Yeah. So what's that? Seven. Oh, years. Seven years ago. Goodness. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So Eight years ago. Yeah. Here, here's maybe just a just a minute. I'll answer your question. Oh yeah. yeah. So sorry. I think it's I think it is the question of the day. If you think about it, when we're when we're born or at some point, that you got to answer the question: Who am I and why am I here? And quite frankly, how much do you hear anywhere where that answer is being talked about or uh, wiser, older, experienced people are helping provide that answer. Mm. You just don't hear it much. Right. Who am I and why am I here? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's natural, by the way. Yeah. Every child on the planet is going to ask that, those two questions at some point. Well, it seems the, the message is confusing now more than ever. We don't I mean we can't even agree on gender. We can't even agree on. I mean, there's just so many conflicting messages out there that no wonder kids are confused. Mm -hmm. No wonder they're losing this sense of purpose. They don't. Well, it, it, all the traditional value—not all of them, but many traditional values—are just being blown up and disregarded. Mm. And and you know, as a as a young man, you know, when you were growing up and before, it was to be the leader of the household, to lead my family. And now it's like, well, now that makes you a misogynist if you think that way. <laughs> or women, you know, their role, and again, hate on us if you want, but traditionally the role is to to raise the kids and stay in the home and lead the home. Mm -hmm. And now it's, well, no, women need to go out and build a career. And that's great. I hope they do. But it can be confusing when you lose these traditional senses of purpose. And and I think that I think that's a big part of <clears throat> why we're seeing the confusion that we see today. Well, I, we had a discussion months back um, and I think Ben, it, it's a, the purpose, but I think we're, that can be interchangeable to truth. Like what is our, what is our truth? We don't have any truths because everyone has their own truth now and, and that's encouraged and you serve yourself and that's it. And everything is of self and that's opposite of the truth of the one book that has not yet been proven to be not true. So when, when the only foundational truth that we have is a book that has never been disproven and we disregard it, I think that's, that's where you lose, you lose this sense of purpose and you lose because what do we lean on? We lean on something that just blows in the wind and changes day by day. We can't, I mean, I know I, I, I'm not going to speak for everyone. I can't trust myself. Like if I were just to lean on my own truth, there's no chance. Right. Um, maybe, maybe if, if you're okay, wrap up with, with this. And Ben usually is always like the last question. Um, so he may come <laughs> back with another one that's better. Um, but maybe just to those from a, maybe just a ministry moment and just sharing your heart is, you know, there's, there's people out there that, that don't know Jesus or have, have gone to church and think they do. Um, and some that are just like, I just don't, I don't know if he's real. Like, I, I don't know if he is. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, and it kind of hit me when we talked, when you mentioned peace is the number one thing people are looking for. Mm -hmm. um, so what would you say to those that, um, that just really just question if there's a God and question Jesus's validity and existence? Mm -hmm. 
It's an easy question to answer. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you got what? We, what's the joke? You got thirty seconds to answer. And yeah. go. <laughs> right, hit the button. Reminds me of an old joke, but we won't go there. Um, so, um, man, you know, one thing that jumps out to me, and you you kind of led into it just a moment ago by saying that, you know, if if I'm in charge, if if Phil Boone is has all the knowledge and wisdom that I need on my own, man, we're in deep trouble. <laughs> so I guess what I would say is is that it's okay to look within or look in your heart or whatever and say who's who's on this is one way to express it and it because it comes from the Bible is who's on the throne of your heart. Somebody's in charge. And if you want to be in charge, if you like the results, as long as you've been in charge, then I guess keep plugging. Why Why would you change? Mm. But, man, I know the difference between because I've lived and, and still have to make that decision every day, but I've lived where I tried to be on the throne of my heart, and I've lived with Jesus on the throne, and there's just no difference. Mm-hmm. No difference in peace. I mean, the peace and the – and the calmness and the rest, that's the other thing, guys. I, I hope your listeners out there, you know, are you exhausted? Yeah. Maybe in every way, exhausted. Your mind is just exhausted. Man, there is peace and rest only in Jesus. And that's the thing. Ben, you mentioned identity. And I'd say, you know, where are you going to find your identity? Who are you going to let? This is it. Who are you going to let tell you who you are? Mm. Who's going to give you your identity? Or who's going to tell you what you're worth? Mm. Man, I choose and I pray that everybody listening chooses to say, I want want Jesus to give me my worth because he sacrificed it all for me by choice. Mm. Here's the deal, and you guys, since you both have, and it, it can be children, doesn't have to be just sons, but can you imagine Seriously, fathers, can you imagine saying, I'm going to sacrifice Jason for a bunch of people that I don't even know. Well, God knows everybody, but for a bunch of people that don't care about me. Mm. Am I going to do that? So I just, man, thank you for the opportunity, guys. It's been a true blessing. I'm, embarrassed being because of our relationship we we just talked about a whole lot about me and that's oh, that's home no, that's exactly what i was hoping for <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah well, no, i told you before I ho- hopefully because i know your kids are me listen hopefully they learned something about their dad today yeah i'd love that more than anything if they uh you know I'm, and, and again you were an unbelievable father and i know they they love you to death but it would be awesome if they were like man i didn't know that that's really cool <laughs> that's really cool about my dad Thank so you. uh he gets us.com mm-hmm. or .org yes. .com he, he gets, gets us.com First step, just go there. Yeah. There you go. That's the that's the website. I know you guys had a, an amazing response. You're still getting the numbers in, but you had an amazing response from the Super Bowl, uh, which is really cool to hear. So, And we need everybody on the team, everybody that thinks this is a great idea, uh, go to hegetsuspartners.com. I was just going to ask how people Churches can sign up, okay. or you can sign up, your small group can sign up. Churches can sign up. Oh, yeah. Okay. And we need, you know, yes, we've raised a lot of money, but we, we need, if you like this idea, help us, help us fuel the – 
provide the fuel to make it continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, look forward to the opportunity to awesome. get, get you on the team. That's right. Yes. That's right. No, I appreciate it so much. Again, I said it from the beginning. You mean a lot to me personally, and I appreciate you for, for everything you've done for me. I mean, literally since I was 13, 14 years old. So I appreciate you so it's much. It's been a joy. Yeah. Thank you.